Hey everyone, welcome to the message portion of our February 2021 Night of Worship. We're so happy that you joined us, whether you're watching live or on demand. We're so excited that you took the time out of your busy schedule to focus on Jesus. And that's what we've been doing all semester so far. Our theme is entitled Makings of a Messiah. And we're just focusing in on 15 scenes of Jesus's life in our life groups. And we spotlight those that are nights of worship and really what this study is about is about Jesus and his birth all the way to his ascension into heaven. And a big thing about it also is that many people had their idea in the first century, especially Jew, Jewish people, of what the Messiah would be like. Would he be a warrior? Would he come in and would he dethrone Rome and give them freedom uh, from taxation, from oppression? Uh, and Jesus came in a different way. He came in a gentle way. He came uh, loving and serving, and he ultimately ended up dying. And But tonight is a little bit different. The passage is a little intense. We see Jesus, he's not playing with kids tonight. Uh, he's making a whip tonight. And I'll just leave it at that for now. But before we get started into the message, Daniel Northam is going to share a story, a testimony from his life that's going to set the tone for the message as we jump into John chapter 2, verse 13. So let's uh, hear from Daniel right now. Hello, everyone. My name is Daniel Northam, and I am a senior this year. I'm actually graduating this semester. Um, I know that for a lot of you today was the first day of in-person classes. Uh, the only in-person class I have is actually yoga, one credit hour. We only meet four times during the semester and the rest of it is still online. So that's not even in person. Um, so some of you may know that when you're a senior, uh, you have to take a capstone class and that's generally like the last semester of your senior year. And the capstone is basically a semester long project that you work on by yourself or in a group and you have one of the professors um, kind of mentor you and guide you through that process. And then you present your project at the end of the year. Um, but if you decide to have take an internship, um, either during the summer or the spring uh, during your senior year, then you can replace your capstone with that internship and get paid while doing it. Um, obviously, that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I prayed and asked God to, um, get me an internship and uh, I kept on getting rejected time after time, every single week, everything I applied to, they just, uh, kept on saying no. Uh, and some of my friends started to get internships and I was just thinking like, all right, what's going on here? Um, then I realized I was just asking God for things uh, and not really listening to what he had for me, what he had in store for me. Um, so um, that kind of ties into this passage this week. Um, or at least one of the things that I got out of it was to not use God, um, but to worship him and praise him for anything and everything. Um, God has a plan for you. 
whether that's what you wanted or what you're praying for or not. And um, I had to kind of switch the way that I prayed and thought about God. And um, I just needed to praise him for whatever outcome it was, whether I was going to get the internship, whether um, I wasn't, and maybe he has something in store for me as soon as I graduate. Um, you never know, but I just had to praise him and worship him no matter what uh, the outcome was because he does have a plan for you and a way that he's going to use you to glorify him. Um, and I just needed to work on praising him and trusting him and all that good jazz. So I pray that you get something out of this uh, passage like I did. And yeah. Thank you, Daniel, so much for sharing that amazing testament, that story from your life. Really appreciate you in so many ways. Um, that really speaks volumes. And I think all of us, like you, have felt like we've known what is best for our lives. Uh, but if, if we're honest, we feel like God owes us a great life. Uh, God, give me that great life. And we often proceed to tell God about all of our plans, all of our agendas, and we expect him to accommodate uh, all of our desires and our will for our lives. But God is not in the business of doing that. He is not here to placate to what we want. He is ready and willing to set our agenda, our will, onto his agenda. And so I think, but that's not to dismiss the disappointment you may feel uh, when things don't go your way, when they don't turn out the way that you thought they would. So if you've ever felt disappointed by the outcome of your life or your faith in Jesus, uh, we pray that this passage will press us closer um, to Jesus and get a better picture of who he is and what he wants from our life. And so Grace uh, is going to open us up with uh, just reading the first part of our passage, which is John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Take it away, Grace. John 2, 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Thank you, Grace, for reading that for us. The first thing uh, to note in this passage as we jump into it is that Matthew writes that Jesus went up. Well, I'm confused. Did Jesus go north? Or I thought he was going south. And how does that work? Well, when it says that he went up, uh, Matthew's trying to help us with the elevation. He went up in elevation. And he went uh, up to the 2,600 feet above sea level that is, that is Jerusalem, to be exact. And the first thing Jesus sees is the priest controlling a system that was making money off of its visiting worshipers. And the Passover was one of, probably the most important feast when it came to the Jewish feast. They had three main ones, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And... For Passover, it was one that almost every adult male 
like we talked about earlier, would attend in Jerusalem as a rite of passage just to focus each and every year to come to the temple. It was just a big deal. And so uh, when we see the word temple here, uh, in this they see this opportunity to capitalize. Uh, we see in the temple they're doing, these priests are capitalizing on people's visit to worship in Jerusalem. And the temple had two parts. And in English, we only see one word temple, but actually in the Greek, there's two words for temple that are used here. The one is the sanctuary, the shrine, which had two parts to it, uh, the holy place, and then the holy of holies, which is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and so this, the first part was for that small area. Then the second word that's used for temple is the entire thing. Not only the sanctuary, uh, the area there, but the entire area, which was 13 to 19 acres in this large court. You also had four smaller parts, these smaller courts. Uh, you had the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of Israel, which was the Jewish men, and the, the court for the priests. And all of this buying and this exchanging was happening in the court of the Gentiles, which was by far the largest part. So I think this kind of makes sense of what's happening in this scene. And so Jesus, this isn't a verse, usually you go to a grandma's house and you see in a frame in her bathroom, uh, Jesus made a whip, John 2.15. Uh, not like the one, of course, that he was tortured with, which was an intense kind of whip that would be an uh, instrument of torture. Uh, this was uh, a different one. It was made with cords and ropes. And Mark Krause, a commentator, said it this way, that Jesus was forth, forth, forceful, but he wasn't cruel. He was forceful, but he wasn't cruel. And so from here, Jesus starts to clean out God's house. And the disciples immediately are reminded of a hit Jewish song from maybe that they sang in, in the synagogue from Psalm chapter 69, verse 9, which was their songbook, their Jewish songbook. And it went something like this, zeal for your house will consume me. I don't know how that went. Zeal for you. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to try to do that today. Um, but this was a hit song. Uh, but Jesus, with the whip in hand, he starts to fulfill messianic prophecy by saying, by, by whipping the animals for sure. Some people believe maybe even the people to get them out of the buying and the selling and trying to profit off of people's worship. And this is totally messed up because the priests were allowing this to happen in the court of Gentiles. Well, I'm not actually doing it, but ending up profiting from it. And so we... We, we need to ask this question, what does this really say about our Savior? What does this say about Jesus? I think immediately some things that pop into my mind are that he, Jesus is strong. Jesus is strong. Jesus is also passionate. And Jesus is also unafraid of conflict, obviously, because this is not going to make people happy. Uh, he's going to cleanse the temple again at the end of his earthly ministry. And it, it, you know, it is almost like the straw that broke the camel's back, sent him to the cross. Um, and so we see in this moment in the, of driving them out of the temple, he is starting his public ministry off with a definite bang as proving himself as being strong, passionate, and unafraid of conflict. Right now, Daniel's going to read the, the second part of our passage, the last part. 
John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Okay, so now I'm going to read John 2, 18 through 22. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days. Um, But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he said, and then he believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Thank you, Daniel, so much for reading that passage for us. So the first part was the stunt. So that was the the stunt, and then we get to the second part, which is the sign. The stunt and then the sign. Jesus' actions, (laughs) they elicit a giant what the heck. (laughs) So it was a a giant, that that kind of moment for the Jews. Uh, They want to see his credentials. Pull out your wallet. Show me who you are. Uh, Who do you think you are by doing this This act of driving people out of the temple. Uh, What a bold move. Who does this guy think he is to come in here and to disrupt our profit margins? That's that's really ultimately what they're thinking. Uh, Not only their profit margins, but their entire system of belief that they had developed. Uh, They had a pretty good thing going. And Jesus uh, doesn't hesitate to respond. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And so the Jews, these religious leaders, they completely miss what he was actually trying to say when he says this, I'll completely destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. They say, it took us 46 years to build this temple. Are you going to rebuild it? And it actually, the temple wasn't actually officially finished uh, until AD 63. And well, only to be completely destroyed again in AD 70. And John shows us that Jesus really did provide a sign, and they didn't really understand what he was talking about, but his eventual crucifixion, because of their actions, and his resurrection would be the greatest sign and offering the world would ever see. If he had that kind of authority, uh, you know, to be crucified and to raise from the dead, if he had that kind of authority to fulfill all messages, messianic prophecies and all this stuff he had the authority to drive these sellers out of the temple and so three years later the false witnesses would use these words of jesus i will destroy he's not quoted as saying this ever again uh, but they are using this against him at the end to push him forward to his execution and the execution itself would be the sign it would be the sign that they were asking for And so John marks that he and all the disciples, what they did is they remembered this as well. It was a big moment for them. They remembered this. They they marked this moment. They marked this time, and it caused them to believe. It caused them to trust fully in Jesus. They finally got there. Uh, Daniel, in our our preparation time for this message, he kind of noted that over and over again, the disciples would see these amazing things that Jesus did, and they did not believe. They did not believe. But here, at the end, when Jesus has ascended into heaven, they recall everything that has been happening, especially this moment. 
And it created a deep faith that could not be shaken because it changed them. So just so you know, Jesus' sign, the sign of his crucifixion and his resurrection is still saving people today. And right now, Grace is going to share a testimony from her life. I just love what she has to share. I know you're going to be blessed by it. So Grace, go ahead and share what God has been teaching you, especially from this passage. So I have this need to plan. So at the beginning of the week, I plan, I plan my week with like homework and I have my work schedule and everything. I plan my, the general gist of the week. And then at the start of each day, or typically it's the night before the next day, I'll plan that next day out. Um, I just, I have this need or desire to like know exactly what's gonna happen and when it's gonna happen. A lot of times when something doesn't happen how I had planned or somebody like comes up with the random plan that just changes my whole day in the middle of the day, it gets me a little frustrated. But um, as I was reading this passage, um, verse 18 stood out to me. So I'll go ahead and read it. It says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So Jesus had just come in and destroyed everything these people were doing. And they're like, excuse me, what are you, what are you doing here? Why, what authority do you have to come in here and tell us to leave and get out? Drive us out with a whip, right? And his answer to them was, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So the, the Jews were like, this temple, like you're gonna destroy this temple? It took us 46 years to build this. How are you gonna do that? Yeah, so they, they, had, they had asked, they had asked Jesus, so like your authority is like, what, why can you do this? Or who do you think you are? And he gave them an answer and he gave them an answer that would change their life if they knew what it meant, right? Um, so a lot of times, and this is definitely something that God has been working on me over the past few years or so, um, that when I have a plan and I'm asking God, I'm like, okay, so this part of my plan, I need your answer on. Is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this like with my major or with friendships or a relationship or anything. It's like, is I, I need to know, I need you to tell me if this is right. Like I need, I need to know. And for me, it's like, I need to know like right now because I need to plan and I, I need to know that my plan is set in and that it's right for me and that it's your plan. Like I just need to know that it's all working together. Um, but a lot of times when I ask and I ask and I ask and I ask, God is just like, I will tell you when it's time for me to tell you. And that I have, I've struggled and struggled with just being content and knowing that like that I don't, I don't need to know the answers right now. God knows the answers. 
that's what's important. He'll tell me the answers when I need to know them. But for right now, he's calling me to sit, to stay, then that's what I need to do, right? You tell me to move, I'll move. You tell me to stay, I'll stay. For me, the staying is the hardest part sometimes because I feel like if something's not moving or changing, that something's not right. Um, so I think that I, it's a really different situation with the Jews because they were simply asking like, why do you think you can just come in here and destroy the place? Um, and Jesus gave them that answer and they probably walked away like angry and frustrated and like, I, whatever, okay, bye. Um, but for us, it's important to, to know that like God has a plan and that his answers, whatever they are in that moment or aren't in that moment, if he's like, I, I'm not, I can't tell you the answer to that right now. Um, that that is the best answer for us. And that is, that's what we need to know. Um, it can be so, it's so hard for me to, to not know if my plan is what's actually going to happen or is what's actually God's plan. Um, but like I said, it's been something that God is, has definitely been um, challenging me with and I've been really like working working through it and trying to trying to overcome that the need to know everything that's gonna happen um yeah so I think I think it's just really important for us to remember that just to know that God's plan is greater than anything that we have and his answers might seem they it might not be there he might be telling you to wait or he might be telling you that right where you are is perfect but if you're not here for me if I'm not hearing move or change or something then I feel like I'm not getting an answer even though I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be um So I think, I think that that's something, especially at this time in our lives, right? We're in college and so it's easy to like question everything, right? Like, is this, the, is this the right major for me? Like, I hate these classes. Is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life doing this or do I need to switch majors or is anything, anything that could possibly come up in our lives. It's so important to know that God's answer will come in God's time and that will be the best way for us to figure anything out in life. Um, so I hope you guys are encouraged by that. Um, I was really like rereading through this passage and rereading through it because I, was, I wasn't finding anything that I could relate to, but... Um, God kind of gave that one to me, so I I hope you guys are encouraged. Thank you, Grace, so much for sharing that testimony. What a powerful word that we all needed to hear today. Uh, so thank you so much.
So just a few things, two things out of the passage that I really think we should take with us as we leave here uh, from spending this time in God's Word and in worship together. Number one is that Jesus is strong, passionate, and unafraid. Jesus is strong, passionate, and unafraid. Is this how you picture Jesus? Um, Is this how, maybe, do you ever picture yourself like this? If so, why not? Uh, why, Why don't you? And today we know that we are, in the New Testament era, we are the actual houses of God. Uh, the temple was destroyed in AD 70 and has still hasn't been rebuilt. Um, but we are the houses of God. Uh, a man named Paul, uh, one of the apostles, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body, with your temple. Worship with your temple. Glorify God with your temple. In that specific context, he was talking about sexual sin. Glorify God with your body. And we just keep, maybe it's good for us to keep singing the hit song. Uh, Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. The The zeal for your house has consumed me. Zeal for your house has consumed me. I pray that that would be true about us too. That this temple, this body that is the Lord's, that it actually houses the Holy Spirit, that we would be strong, passionate, and we would be unafraid of what is to come in in the time to come in the future. Uh, The second thing uh, to take out of this passage is, what is it that you want? It's really a question. What is it that you want? When it comes down to it, what do you desire more than anything else? Do you desire your wants? Are you having your list of what you would desire, your wants, and bringing it before God? And and then when it doesn't happen, you're super disappointed? I think God, really, what He really wants from us, He he wants to be worshipped. He does not want to be used. He is not a product to put in your hair. Uh, He is not a product to put on your skin. He, he is not a product at all. He, uh, we, we can't use him and expect results within 14 days. He instead, he offers us a lifestyle of worship that crescendos into eternal life. That's really what he offers us, which is the best thing because it lasts not only in this life, but for the life to come. I love another hit song from uh, the Hebrew songbook is Psalm 27.8. And it sings this way. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Love that. So what is it that you want? You want the presence of God? Do you want him to have rule and reign over your life? Or are we wanting to use and manipulate God, uh, which we can't anyway, but we're trying. Um, So what would happen if you woke up tomorrow with this kind, the good kind of mentality of what we've just talked about, being strong and passionate, unafraid, wanting God's presence, wanting Him more than anything else in this world. What if you woke up with that kind of mentality tomorrow? What if you recognized yourself as a house of God, a house that Jesus 
has zeal for. I'm just picturing Jesus coming into our houses, our lives, and driving out everything that is not good for us, that will not lead us to eternal life, that won't lead us into a better relationship with God and with other people. Um, Would you see yourself as someone who is unusable? Maybe you think you're worthless, like you're not worthy of that presence. Uh, That is garbage. That is not true. Uh, So you need to know that tonight. Uh, You know, what would happen in your life if if you wanted God's presence more than anything else? What if you started to see God as someone to be worshipped and not to be used? I wonder also what our daily schedule would start to look like. I wonder what our Sunday morning experiences would look like if we came in with that kind of expectation of wanting to experience God's presence and not use him for our purposes, but to get in line with his purposes. What would happen in our lives? I think we could make a real difference. I think we could sing the Messianic Psalm with Jesus, uh, with the disciples as they're watching Jesus clear the temple to start his earthly ministry. We would sing, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus has zeal for his house. Uh, Not only uh, ourselves as housing the Holy Spirit, but the church collectively, he has a super big zeal. He is so passionate for us and he wants nothing less than our entire lives. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for tonight that we can come and we can worship you. We can put our focus and our attention on your face. God, would you reveal more of who you are every day? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.